Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. Melissa Monty, welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. So happy to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, so happy to have you on. So you have a podcast called Mind Love, and that's about helping people live happier, healthier lives. And then, of course, we're Bright Vibe. It's, it's like maybe Mind Love and Bright Vibe probably should have a baby, and it would be called, I don't know, Bright Love or something. I don't know what the, <laughs> what it would be called. But, but basically, Mind Vibe. Mind Vibe. I, lo- I love that. I love that's good. We should get that dot .com right away. You're really focused on helping people live happier, healthier lives, uh, thus giving your mind some love, right? Is that how you would describe your kind of what your work is? Yeah, I, it took me a while to realize, but I thought maybe just living your life normally, you sort of keep this homeostasis. Now my understanding <laughs> of it is that's how evolution works. It's like, oh, this bad thing is happening. We have to act intentionally in order to level ourselves back out. And given that our brains have this survival instinct, we have a negativity bias that was originally meant to protect us. But now mm-hmm. in our cushy, comfy lives, that mind is kind of working against us and it's focusing on the negative and keeping us there. And and so we have to be really intentional about giving our minds that love in mm-hmm. order to keep the bright vibe of our lives, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, on today's show, um, we're going to talk about emotional health. We're going to talk about overcoming. And, you know, I've mentioned it so many times on this show and definitely just reading a little bit about your background. Typically in our lives, whatever caused us, especially in earlier years and earlier, probably, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, or even, you know, on into our early adulthood. But whatever causes us the most pain usually becomes for, for people that want to help others becomes rocket fuel later in life. It's basically whatever whatever we experience. And I hate to say there was a purpose for it. That's a whole nother conversation about how things work. But in essence, we find purpose through it if we want to not be destroyed by it, I believe. And then I think it becomes our rocket fuel for helping others kind of hopefully kind of live a happier, healthier life or lead a better life. But I think so often, especially in my own life, and especially in the last few years, I got trapped into thinking a lot of times when we're going through something, we think that we're the only one, right? We think we're the only one that has this financial crisis or this emotional crisis or that's think contemplating divorce or that's, you know, had this thing happen to them. And that's just not true, right? There's so many people that are going through things at any given time. You know, you had some stuff happen early in your life that I'm positive was very formative on your passion today for helping people. Is that accurate to say? Definitely. I discovered that actually it was the symbiotic relationship of being open and helping people. Whereas not like I came out the other side and I'm like, oh, now this is my duty. I remember when I was a teenager, a close friend of mine died by suicide and I didn't know how to process that. I was actually really angry at him for a while because he was using this threat as manipulation towards Mm. my best friend, which is his girlfriend at the time. And then it happened and it was just, I just, like I said, did not know how to process it. And I remember feeling angry for a couple of years and I finally, in my early 20s, decided to volunteer for the Suicide and Crisis Counseling Mm -hmm. Center. And I realized in helping these people that I did not understand, it not only gave me an understanding, but it was a way to process it because it forced me to get out of the personal of it. 
Just like how you see your friend in a bad relationship and it's so clear how negative that dynamic is and that mm-hmm. exactly what they're doing wrong. But for them, they're like, but no, you don't see the good times. And I'm like, no, I see those two and they're not as good as you're making them out to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so yeah. it's just that little bit of separation where it's like, what am I going through? OK, who can I help that's going through this exact same thing just so I can see it from one step away from a different perspective? And since then, that sort of shaped my understanding and how I approach issues and, and why I want to share what I'm going through in order to, like I said, not just help other people, but it helps me too. Mm-hmm. Just so people understand the backstory, um, because I want to relate to anyone listening or everyone listening, kind of relate to what we're, we're talking about on the emotional health side to kind of show, let's bear your soul, Melissa. Let's talk about how emotionally unhealthy you were, but let's, let's get into some of maybe the negative stuff that was happening in your life and then kind of what was maybe either an event or a period of time that kind of shifted that mindset and then kind of how you focus your mind currently so that you can live a happier life. So kind of what was your mindset before kind of you realized that things, you know, weren't working well, or I guess what what was going on in your life? I went through a period between age 15 and Mm -hmm. 22, just had a lot of speed bumps in it. Mm -hmm. And it started with a sexual assault. And Mm -hmm. now I can see very clearly what that started for me and how it began to erode my self-worth, what I thought my value was. But at the time, I remember actually thinking, I'm not going to let this bother me. I actually didn't know how to process it at all. Right. The sexual assault was not full sex, but there was a group of people around me. I it was one of my first times drinking. Mm -hmm. I barely remember things. I was kind of coming in and out of consciousness. And I really blamed myself for that. I thought that I didn't see it as sexual assault actually until the Me Too movement when I was like, there's no way a group of 19-year-old guys surrounding a 15-year-old girl taking advantage of her was my fault. I don't care how drunk I was. Right, of course. And so later on, three years later, I actually ended up having a different sexual assault experience that was much Mm -hmm. more obvious to me. Mm -hmm. Something about having that clouded my prior experience even more, like it just shut it out of my awareness. Very soon after that, a very close friend died by suicide. Then my dad died the next year Mm -hmm. and I was going off to college at this point. And I remember having what now I see as kind of a toxic positivity. I had a few seeds planted of books that I had been given. I remember my mom was part of a multi-level marketing book club. Uh (laughs) The only good things that came out of it were a couple of the books that I read. (laughs) And uh, so I had read things like The Power of Positive Thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's funny how, you know, at the beginning of my spiritual journey, learning about the law of attraction, it's almost Mm -hmm. this magical, whimsical thing. And then and the deeper I get, the more it makes sense to me. But at this point, I was a very surface level understanding. And so I just thought, I'm not going to let any of this affect me. I'm just going to move through life. I ended up developing a really severe eating disorder. I was Mm -hmm. bulimic for about 10 years and it was bad. There were weekends at a time where I wouldn't leave my house consuming hundreds of dollars worth of food. And it was just binging and purging in a cycle Mm. 15, 20 times in a day. And that's all I was doing. And so I ended up in a relationship, one that made me feel valuable. Our first date, he gave me this huge gemstone ring worth thousands of dollars. He was taking me to these resorts and we were going to Vegas, staying in VIP suites. He was handing me hundreds to gamble with. And it was this slow leak of information with that one. First, I realized (laughs) the weekend we met, his dad died. And so Mm -hmm. that caused me to create a lot of excuses for his behavior. 
because mm. when my dad died, I felt that no one understood. A lot of people kept telling me, you need to get over this. And I was simultaneously grieving and also using that grief to my advantage, like using it to get out of college classes. And mm. uh, I remember I for completely forgot I was enrolled in Poli Sci 102. I went to the teacher at the end and realized I was going to fail the class. And he just gave me an A. Wow. <laughs> I didn't do any work wow. in this class. Wow. <laughs> and so I was like being a little manipulative with it, but that wasn't to take away from the pain I was actually feeling. And so anyways, I was in this point in my life mm. with this guy. I ended up realizing that something else was going on. He was drinking too much. He was definitely an alcoholic. And I found out he was addicted to meth. And in my mind, I was just like, well, I'm going to be there for you in a way that other people weren't there for me. I right. know that this is an addiction. This isn't you. Well, long story short, after about eight months, I ended up finally going to Hawaii to get away from him. I had lived there for a while. So I went and stayed with a friend. And when I was there, I kind of got myself together. I was eating healthy again and mm -hmm. working out and, and I just felt better. And then I got back home and it was like I had done all the service level work, but still none of the inner work. When he called to see if we could get together, it was just like this pull uh, again, realizing that I was still trying to fill some sort of void. And we went to lunch and we ended up being arrested. I remember the cops pulling up and I just kind of thought maybe he had like missed a stop sign or something, but they made us get out of the car. And I just remember them opening his trunk and there were dozens of lock boxes like they have on, on the outside of homes that are for sale for real. Uh -huh. Right. And cases of jewelry. And I knew about the jewelry. He had told me he had a business with his dad. And so I was actually helping him buy and sell jewelry. I could like hold gold and tell you how much it weighed during this point <laughs> well, in my life. Well. And it was all the same kind. So I didn't really have any reason to think he's stealing it from multiple mm -hmm. houses. And he wasn't. He actually turned out that I found out through his whole rehab journey when he started to be a little bit more honest that there was some guy at the Palm Desert Street Fair that had like millions of dollars worth, worth of very expensive gaudy jewelry. And he it was this old man. And he's like, well, he's probably not locking this up on Saturdays to come back on Sundays. So it's got to be in his garage. And he taught himself how to pick locks. And long oh story short, he basically wiped out a bunch of this. The guy didn't notice. And so he went back until he had cleaned out the guy. And then the guy like never came back again, which is heartbreaking, first yeah, of all. Right. But um, he continued to rob houses and he was spiraling also. And so it went from he was also selling it on eBay. I wasn't thinking that he was selling stolen jewelry on eBay. So this is why it was so confusing for me. Right. But towards the end, I saw him spiraling to where he was going to pawn shops and just whatever he could do to get money. And then he was going to the high limit rooms and just oh. pumping in hundreds. And mm -hmm. it was this whole spiral. And so I spiraled with him and I ended mm -hmm. up being arrested with him. During that time I was in Hawaii, he wanted to watch my dog for a while. And so he would stay in some of these homes that he was robbing for the night. He had used to do loans with his dad. That's what his business was with his dad, not jewelry. And so he had access to all the MLS reports where he'd actually see this person mm. doesn't live here anymore. This person has gone from nine to five. Right. And so he would find the houses that people still lived at because he knew that they would have jewelry there and he would take the jewelry and he had his own side jewelry business. Oh my. And so, and he did make the business side. He was a smart guy. And then with the spiraling of all that and his meth addiction, he started to invite his meth dealer into the homes to get the TVs that 
he wanted in order to for free meth. And so that's when it went from being this this whole operation that nobody suspected because he was going up, clipping off the lock boxes, going back to his Mercedes Benz where he was dressed right. nicely, just getting the key and walking in. And so nobody reported any suspicion until right. he involved his drug dealer. And so this this is when people were like, well, we saw TV being walked out into this old pickup <laughs> truck and things like that. And so. Right. Um, and then they had uh, a blonde girl with him at one point, which was a lady of the night that he mm-hmm. had found while I was in Hawaii and my mm-hmm. little dog. And so they thought I was a part of it. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, I ended up going through court cases where it just kept being pushed back. If I would wow. have taken it to court on my own, our cases were combined. So if I mm-hmm. went to trial, then he went to trial, too. Got it. He got a really expensive attorney. I was paying out of pocket for whatever I could afford, which is not a whole lot. My attorney mm-hmm. really didn't show up very often. And so I was being counseled by his mom and his attorney for the most part. And if he went to trial, he would get a minimum of 10 years in jail. Wow. And they were trying to avoid that. And so they right. ended up talking me into taking a felony Ooh. deal and and convincing me it was a good idea. And my 22-year-old self was like, I can't send somebody I love to jail, blah, blah, blah. I guess I can do this. It won't affect me. And that was my rock bottom. Right. And as much as I want to sit here and and blame this person, I am so acutely aware of how my inner state affects my outer state. Mm-hmm. And when I was spiraling, I went through this whole weird klepto phase where I'd like take lip glosses from Walmart. And <laughs> apparently it's common among women. But Is that right? <laughs> okay. All yeah. Right. And, and I would just steal little things that I didn't even really need. I think it made me feel powerful or like I was owed something. Mm-hmm. And during this time in my life, the amount of my belongings that were stolen in completely other contexts was it happened all the time. Like I'd leave my phone on a table at a party and it'd be gone. And oh, wow. <laughs> then I attracted this guy into my life that's actually robbing houses. Right. And so for me, now I look at it where it's the universe like reflecting back this more extreme situation. So maybe mm-hmm. I didn't have to go through it, which, right. yes, I did go through it, but not in the same way he did. Mm-hmm. He ended up following me. I moved to L.A. to get away from him. He followed me there. He tormented me for a while, threw a brick through my windshield, broke into my house while I was sleeping. I had to move because my roommate was afraid. And mm-hmm. he ended up getting arrested for another string of robberies. And in that moment, I realized I was finally free. And mm-hmm. I just decided that I needed to use that freedom for good. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just this direct turnaround. I partied way too hard for years. I numbed everything I was feeling for years, but I was also making incremental steps. I started going to yoga. I started to meet people that were a positive influence while still doing negative things at night, mm-hmm. like right. too many party drugs, all the things. Mm-hmm. But it was one step at a time that I just started to rebuild my life. And I'm thankful for that contrast, for those dark nights of being stuck in a bathroom, throwing up my food compared to how I nourish my body now to the dark nights of realizing I was in the presence of somebody who completely didn't value life for himself or the people around him compared Mm -hmm. to how I value my life now and help other people do the same. And so it's part of my story. It's part of who I am. It's one of those things how you said, like, it's hard to find the meaning in the moment. Mm Mm-hmm. We make meaning no matter what. Our brains are meaning-making machines. And that's why I'm so passionate about giving your mind intentional love. Because we might think that we're doing nothing. 
But what we're doing in our brains are creating that meaning for us. And it's usually something negative, like I'm not worthy. I am worthless. I am ugly. I am whatever it is, your vice of your internal talk. That's you making meaning of the world. So if you're not sitting here and saying, all right, this story can either sabotage me or it can make me, which one is it going to do? If I want it to make me, I need to see a different way to look at that experience. And I remember in the beginning of doing this, I felt like I was faking it, like I was just coming up with some fairy tale. But the more I sat with things and then acted off of that meaning that I chose, that's when my life really started to evolve in a way that I could be proud of. And so, and and this may be not the terminology you use, but basically you restoried your life, right? Mm. You you went back and you found these things that people could think were pretty negative things, right? Um, you know, being arrested, jail, whatever. I mean, I like to believe that I'm a very understanding, forgiving person because I've done a lot, a lot of crazy stuff that was, you know, I should have been in jail for a lot of stuff, right? Over throughout the years, I just didn't end up there, right? By the grace of God, <laughs> So you went back and you took these experiences and you gave them some type of meaning that would then add value to your, maybe your life then, but certainly your future, right? Like, and, and, you know, I do this some myself where if I'm going through something extra challenging, it's almost like I see myself later, either with an individual or in front of a group of people talking about how this thing happened and here's what it taught me. And then here's how I navigated it. So it's almost like, I have this switch in my head that says, this hurts now, but at some point, this will be a story or an experience, or at least a feeling and emotion that you're going to be able to help somebody else that's in this same situation. So, and that's the way I restory my challenges, right? I story my challenges with, if I'm going to experience something that's really hard, it's because I'm being prepared for something in the future to help, to pay it forward, I guess, or to help someone else. How did you restory some of these things? so that it could become the rocket fuel for you to help others? I've done this in a couple of different ways, depending on part of my process. The first thing that I feel like is so important not to skip, though, and this is a mistake that I made in the beginning of all this, Mm -hmm. is that I tried to skip straight to that meaning part before (laughs) I processed things, before I actually felt. And I thought it it was kind of spiritual bypassing in a Mm -hmm, way, where mm -hmm, it's like, I'm just going to jump to the good, toxic positivity at its finest. Right. And so I did have to go back. And this was actually well into my trying to build something out of it. And I realized it was during the Me Too movement when that very first glaring incident happened. And mm. I was like, oh, my gosh, why is this still so painful? I processed mm. the other one. This should mm-hmm. kind of come come with it. And mm-hmm. I really felt like it had just happened. And I had to allow myself to just cry and to just mm. feel that and and grieve the loss of innocence in that moment in a mm-hmm. way, whatever it right. is. I had to do the same thing for my dad. I didn't really process his death and just feel that loss and feel the evolution of the relationship I have with him now. And so I think that's really important because our emotions do get stuck in our bodies and it can Mm -hmm. lead to all sorts of other things. I I do feel like maybe part of my bulimia was stemmed from that, like this Mm -hmm. other way of taking control and wasn't a conscious thought, but Mm -hmm. it's part of what I came to the conclusion of later on. And so there's a couple ways that I restoried the hard things that I went to. And different things work for different times in my experience. Mm-hmm. The very first time I went to therapy uh, after my second sexual assault, one of the things they had me do was EMDR, where they basically put on headphones and it beeps in your ear mm-hmm. at different times. And she had me retell my story. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was just to desensitize myself mm-hmm. from it so I wouldn't be randomly triggered. 
Right. And while I found that helpful, I ended up reading about different ways that people coach others into actually rewriting their stories Mm -hmm. in an even more empowering way. I think it's an individual thing. Maybe it was helpful that I did that first version once or twice. But what I ended up doing with that first sexual assault is I went back and I replayed the story a bunch of different times. I did this during a tapping session Mm -hmm. uh, and also just during meditation when it was coming up again. Mm-hmm. And I would visualize what I wished happened, mm-hmm. like my standing mm-hmm. up for myself, whether mm-hmm. and I've done it in all of the ways, all the variations, realizing it sooner and standing up to the person after it happened, standing mm-hmm. up and stopping it in the middle of it. All mm-hmm. of these different ways to kind of reroute a thought, because our memories are only just stories that we continue to tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times. We have completely different memories of the exact same experiences. So our memories are subjective. And there have been times where I thought somebody reacted to me in a way and I mulled over it for months at a time. And then I found out they didn't even hear me when I (laughs) said it in the first place. And I'm like, was I traumatizing myself? (laughs) And so we can use that same, I have used that same way of remolding my thoughts. And I'm like, okay, I want something else to stand out. I want my Mm -hmm. strength, who I am now to approach the subject. Instead of this old story that continues to play in my mind. And so I have done that through writing it out, through meditation. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's one right way to do it. Just what resonates with me in that moment. And I've used all of those ways. And I continue to do so. Sometimes I will still get in a little pity party for the years that I lost from that moment. But what I've come to the conclusion of now is I help a lot of people with my podcast. And one of the most common pieces of feedback that I get is how relatable I am in so many different areas because Mm -hmm. I've been through a lot. I wouldn't be able to relate in that same way if I hadn't had gone through those things. It makes me less judgmental of a person. Mm -hmm. It makes me more understanding of what other people are going through. The choices that they make that people are like, "Ah, how could they? I'm like, well, I could see how. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the the brain's being hijacked and Again, it's just a little bit of intention because we're so used to living on autopilot, not realizing how powerful these subconscious processes are. And sometimes it's just choosing like what is still affecting me? What still brings me down when I'm having a good day? What are my triggers? Can I sit with that? And you don't even need to know exactly what to do. But for me now, I can just sit and say like, what do I need here? Is it something that I wish that person would have told me? Can I give those things to myself? Am I still beating myself up over how I handled it? What do I wish would have happened? And just play with your mind until you create a story that you feel empowered by and sit with it for a while and replay it over and over again, just like you would mull over that thing you wish you didn't say, or that thing you wish you didn't do, or how you handled that one experience. Mull over a new positive story, whether it's real, whether you're making it up, and see how it transforms your experience of your life, because it does have a profound impact. Yeah, no, I totally agree, right? As you said, we are meaning-making machines, and it's the meaning we give our lives that ultimately determines our destiny, right? Only uh, Ultimately determines at least the path we take as we go forward because we're either reinforcing a negative story or we're reinforcing a positive story. And I think that's our free will. That's our choice, right? Am I going to use this to help myself and then eventually help others? That's, and again, you're hearing my restory, right? <laughs> or is it something that you're just going to spiral down because you're stuck in that victim mentality 
because you probably haven't processed these things. You know, typically I've felt like a victim throughout my life until I actually, to your point, have processed the emotional charge or the emotional residue that's still there until I've actually processed it. There really, I haven't felt forgiveness for myself. I haven't felt forgiveness for others. And then I'm still storing that. So therefore I'm repeating it in some way until I heal that initial wound, that emotional trauma that was experienced. You know, you hear this a lot, you know, if people are single, they're going to say, well, I always end up with the same person. They're always this way and this way. And I don't understand why I always attract the same thing. It's like, well, there's an emotional wound there that hasn't been addressed, that the emotion has been bypassed. You talk about spiritual bypassing has been bypassed. The mind and the subconscious and the body are very good at healing themselves. If we allow the space for healing, which is meditation and mindfulness, prayer, you know, all these good things. But if we don't ever give ourselves that, then we're going to continually manifest it in our external world. That's just the way it works. I mean, I wish it was simpler, but there is some simplicity in it. It's like, if you notice that something's coming up again and again and again, if I notice it's coming up in my life, I've got to at some point say, okay, what am I not dressing or what am I not dealing with? And then let's deal with that to the best of I can in, in that moment, baby steps, and then watch how it, you know, is it still showing up? It's like, you know, I spent some time in India and the, and the monks would say, your external world is a reflection of your internal world. So I look at my external world and say, okay, what's going on in my external world? <laughs> and then if there's some stuff I don't like, then there's something inside of me that I don't like or that I haven't dealt with. What am I going to do with that? That sounds like that's what you were, I mean, I'm putting it in my own frame, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And you're right. Our minds, bodies, the universe itself is self-healing, but I think we think that it's a passive process. Oh, right. And that's not normally the case. <laughs> no, never we, the case. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, it doesn't mean that we have to sit there and like get our hands dirty every single day, but it's right. allowing the space because if we're just repeating the exact same things that we've done before, the reason that our external worlds are a reflection of our internal worlds is so that we can see what needs to change. And mm -hmm. if we're not taking action on that, and even just deciding what you want to see, like that is how easy it can be. It's just getting clarity on what you actually want. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, if you keep that focus, you don't need to know how you're going to get there. That's right. when all the background, the reticular activating system starts to work in your brain, in your subconscious, because you're like, this is my goal. This is my goal. This is my goal. And it doesn't need to be this business career move. It could be just, I want to love myself. How can I do that today? And that's why things like a gratitude practice work so mm -hmm. well is mm -hmm. because you choose, okay, I'm going to choose three things to be grateful for this morning. And the more often you do that, your brain starts to default at looking at the things that to be grateful for instead of looking at all the things that you wish you can change. And so set that goal to heal whatever it is that's still ailing you, that's still messing with your mind, because sometimes that's all it needs to create that space in order for your magical mind to start doing that for you. Totally, totally. If you could impart one piece of wisdom to the 8 billion other humans on the face of the earth, what would you want everyone to just know if there was one piece of wisdom you could distill it down to? One of the things that's changed my life the most is getting curious about my emotional state. This helps me to process things in real time versus eight years out, I'm wondering why everything's spiraling because I haven't dealt with this thing over here. Mm -hmm. And it's easier to do with the big things like somebody died or, mm -hmm. you know, you had some big accident or those things we know. It's like, oh, gosh, this is going to be really hard. 
what we tend to let slip by is those little things like the trigger that one person always bothers you or mm -hmm. you're yeah, road rage and traffic all the time or you're just a little too short with your children or your spouse. What's behind that? Mm -hmm. And so many people are like, this is just how I am. I have a short emotional fuse. And it's like, hmm, that wouldn't be something I would be identifying with. Instead right. of identifying with that emotion, just identify the emotion. The more you have this practice, it could be like, I am feeling, and it's that little bit of space that you create before that response or before your reaction that ends up transforming it into a more intentional response. And so for me in a day-to-day -day, that looks like, okay, why do I all of a sudden feel overwhelmed and I feel a little shorter and I don't want people near me while I'm making my coffee in the morning? What is that? It's like, take a deep breath and name it. It's called affect labeling. It's actually a really powerful way to get a little bit of space between that emotion. But just that creates a positive spiral of a new way to handle emotions that will encourage you to process them, to actually feel what you're going through, to mm -hmm. see where it's coming from, to see if it's from something deeper than just this moment, which hint, 99% of the time it actually is. It just gives you that space to process it in a new way so that you're moving through life and you're not having these emotions become stuck in your body, which ends up creating all sorts of mental and even physical illnesses down the road. So that's my one piece of advice. Just start to tune in. When you're feeling something big, try to name it. Name what that is. And from there, you can choose. You can move on with the rest of your day. Even that is helpful. But you can also get more curious. What is this from? What do I want to feel right now? What do I need to hear right now? Can I give that to myself? And then move on with your day. And I can almost guarantee that it'll keep you on a little bit of a higher frequency moving through the whole thing versus letting something get you down and, and bring down the rest of your day. Sometimes if you're weak and which ends up becoming a dark cloud over your whole life. So, yes, very good. Very good wisdom for all of us to, to help us navigate this crazy ride called life. Right. <laughs> it's yes. a crazy ride. It's a crazy fun ride if we allow it to be, but it's a crazy ride. Yes. Um, well, how do people find out? So about your podcast, it's called Mind Love, right? M-I-N-D-L-O-V-E. Yeah, you know, pretty straightforward. Um, your website, mindlove.com? Yes, my website is mindlove.com. You can find me on any podcast player. And I also have a daily email, like a little oh. oracle mm -hmm. to help set your day on a positive note. Mm -hmm. Start your day with a little bit of mind love. It's just a couple of sentences of inspiration. People mm -hmm. love it. They say it feels like opening a fortune cookie every morning. And you can find that on the homepage of mindlove.com or you can text the word morning to 33777. Nice. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure having you on. And anytime you want to come back on and visit or wrap, I'd be happy to have you come back on the show. Love, love what you're doing in the world. Love that you're putting out good, positive things. Putting out love, right? You're putting love out in the world. Be the change you wish to <laughs> see. To see in the world. That's right. All right. Well, thanks so much. And, and again, feel free to come back on anytime, Melissa. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, B-I-B-E dot com. Thank you for listening. 